coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at MyBookie. Now's the time, guys. You want to jump in on the action while you can. There's still plenty of college football left, and the two promo deals that you had to choose from are still active right now. You can still use our exclusive promo code UGA when you go to MyBookie.ag to get that 50% deposit bonus with a playthrough. But if you want to avoid that playthrough, you can use the new code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus all the way up to $200 on that first deposit for all new users. So again, take advantage of these deals while you can. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler. And this is the second episode that I am recording in my marathon recording session tonight. I got to do three today, guys. Got to do the recap episode. Did that one, Curtis. Knocked that one out. Now we're on the mailbag episode. And then I will be on to our game preview-ish episode, if we want to call it that, with Vanderbilt. Obviously, I'll be out of town for the Vanderbilt game this weekend, but I have to head out of town a little bit earlier this week, so that is why I'm having to move things up and get this all done in two days, basically. Got these three episodes today, and then Charlie will be back with me tomorrow to do a very early edition of our Week 7 Picks of the Week. But today, it is all about your questions in our weekly mailbag episode. And as is always the case, guys, we have a ton of great questions. We're going to start with a bigger picture question. From Jamie. Jamie has a question I think needs to be asked right now. Actually, there are a couple of really good questions, some insightful big picture questions that we had today. There's a couple of them off the top here. But this one, after his performance against Kentucky, I think this question is a fair question to start asking. So Jamie asks it. He poses the question Is Carson Beck the best quarterback in the SEC after that performance against Kentucky? Where does he rank nationally in your mind? I do think it is fair to ask the question. I'm not ready to say that Carson is the best quarterback in the SEC quite yet because Jaden Daniels is still playing at an extraordinarily high level right now. He's leading the league in passing, and we also know what Jaden Daniels can do with his legs. The threat he poses with his legs is like no other quarterback in this league right now. He is playing at a really, really high level. He's always thrown the deep ball exception, well, even going back to when he was at Arizona State. Now he's doing it all really well. Now he has a great group of receivers to work with, but the guy is operating at a really, really high level, and he is the reason why they beat Missouri. Brady Cook also, I think, deserves to be in that conversation. Right now, I would take Carson over Brady Cook, but Brady Cook's numbers are right there with Carson Beck's. And earlier in the year, I was pinning Spencer Rattler as the best quarterback in the SEC based off the way he started the season. I still think Spencer Rattler might be the highest draft pick in the SEC of these guys right now, at least in terms of the guys coming out this year. But with his offensive line and the issues they have running the football, he, his numbers have kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Now, he is still playing at a really, really high level. So if you want to say Spencer Rattler, I'm not going to argue with it too much. That guy is still playing really, really, really good football right now. But Carson Beck, right now, I would say, is playing as well as any of them with maybe Jay Daniels just a slight edge above him right now. And Brady Cook certainly in that conversation as well. But I've been telling you guys all year, even going back to game one, I know that he wasn't perfect the first couple weeks. And he's still not perfect. No quarterback is. But the things that this guy has done through the first six starts of his career is like no other quarterback in the history 
of the Georgia football program. Now, I know that we don't have this long, illustrious history of high-level quarterback play. I get that. But we're talking about guys like Stetson Bennett and Aaron Murray and Matthew Stafford and even guys like Eric Zier back in the day. DJ Shockley, he is off to a better start than any quarterback in his first six starts now, any quarterback in Georgia history. Stetson Bennett did not have his first 300-yard game as a passer in terms of his starts until his 16th start as a Georgia Bulldog. The very first time that guy threw for 300 yards in a game, in this game he started, was against Alabama in the SEC Championship game in a losing effort. That was the first time, guys. Carson Beck threw for 300 yards in his fourth career start against UAB and has now done it three games in a row, games four, five, and six. And they put the numbers out in the broadcast on Saturday night against Kentucky. And when I saw in the replay, you saw the numbers, and it's like, dang, man, that's that's elite company. In terms of guys in the SEC, there's five guys now in SEC history that have thrown for over 300 yards in the half with 80% or better completion percentage. And Carson Beck is one of them. He knows where to go with the football. He understands coverages. He's an accurate passer. He's unflappable back there. He moves exceptionally well in the pocket, sliding, stepping up in the pocket. I think that he is, I don't want to say deceptively mobile, but he's a far better athlete than people give him credit for. I wish he would pull a little bit more on some of those zone read looks. I don't know if they're actually zone reads, but some of those looks that we're giving. But this guy, anyway you slice it, is playing at an extremely, extremely high level. And I'm not quite ready to say that he's playing like the best quarterback in the SEC because Jane Daniels is doing what he's doing. But Carson Beck is right there. And by the end of the season, I think I could change my tune here and say, yeah, it's pretty clear Carson Beck is the best quarterback in this league. I'm very open to that when you look at what he's done through the first half of his first season as a starter. All right, now our next question, also somewhat of a bigger picture question. Here comes from James. Now, this is a question we had a couple of different people ask. I know Darren, a good friend of the podcast, was one of those people that had a very similar question, but James was the first one that I saw ask this question, so I'm going to use James's question. So thank you, James. James asks, do you feel like Georgia found its offensive identity this week? Yes, James, I absolutely do. Curtis and I just got done talking about that. I know you guys haven't heard the episode yet, but yes, we talked about how we think we found our offensive identity at least somewhat in this game. I think we started to find it the back half of the Auburn game, maybe even going to the UAB game a little bit. And I think it's pretty clear what this identity has to be. This is the team right now that we run the ball well enough. I don't know if we're ever going to be a dominant rushing attack. We talked about this after the uh, the Auburn game. I think it was time after we saw what happened in the second half and how Carson Beck responded and how we were able to come back and win that football game, throwing the football. It was pretty obvious to me that... The issue in the first part of the season was we were trying, it was like a square peg round hole scenario. We've had this offensive identity basically ever since Kirby Smart got here, where we want to run the football, physical down here, rushing attack, work play action off that, run the ball first, set up the pass, those kind of things, right? We hit explosive plays in the run game, which creates explosive play opportunities in the pass game. And that's always been what we've wanted to do, whether it was, you know, go back to Jim Chaney or James Coley back in 2019. Yep, remember that guy? Or obviously, most recently, Todd Munkin, and now Mike Bobo. But Right now, with the injuries that we've had both in the running back room and on the offensive line, and just the way the offensive line hasn't played to its standard to this point, I don't know if it's realistic for that to be the primary identity for this offense. We talked about that a little bit last week. And I think we started to see what the identity could be and maybe should be in the second half of that game against Auburn. We started to run more no huddle, which is something that Curtis and I were advocating for after that Auburn game on that recap episode, because Carson Beck 
clearly seems more comfortable doing that. A lot like Jay Fromm used to seem more comfortable doing that. And the guy is just in complete control right now. He is playing, as we just said with the last question, he is playing as well as any Georgia quarterback has played for a prolonged stretch of time in the history of this program. I mean, we're talking about six games. I mean, Stetson Bennett was amazing. Stetson Bennett was I mean, right now, I would still say that the, the greatest quarterback in Georgia history, especially in terms of what he did in clutch moments. But Carson Beck, to start his career, is just lights out right now. Why would you not put the ball in his hands? The Carson to Brock connection, that's as good as getting in college football right now. And now that we're starting to see some of these wideouts emerge, Marcus Rosemey Jackson playing at a different level than he's ever played at any point in his career. He's actually legitimately being a playmaker out there, making plays, contested catches. Ra-Ra Thomas coming on. Lad McConkey starting to get healthy. Dominic Lovett doing some good things, but still trying to wait for him to break out. But he's got that potential. I mean, he was Missouri's leading receiver last year. He was a big play waiting to happen for Missouri last year. All of these guys are playmakers. Arius Smith can make plays, doesn't always do it, but he can make plays. So to me, it makes sense when you look at the personnel we have on hand right now, and also the way that our offensive line pass protects. We haven't been great running the football and blocking for the run game, but we've been consistently good for the most part protecting Carson Beck. That's one thing this offensive line has done well almost all year long. So if you put all that together, it's clear that is what we do best offensively, and you saw us lean towards that more against Kentucky. We were 58% pass against Kentucky, guys. That's not typically what you see from Georgia. It started to be more so last year, especially as Stetson got rolling the back half of last year. But 58% passing, that's... I mean, think about what we did against Kentucky last year. I know, like, obviously weather played a role in that. But we run the football. That's traditionally what we've done under Kirby Smart. Now we're starting to see a little bit of a change. So we saw that in the second half against Auburn. We saw the entire game against Kentucky. The first two drives that game coming out and not going like with crazy tempo, but going no huddle, going with more tempo than you're accustomed to seeing a Georgia team do, which is something that, again, Curtis and I were calling for after the second half of that Auburn game. And that was incredibly positive for me to see very encouraging to I mean just to see hey our coaches see what we're seeing out there and they're actually implementing these things so I want to give Mike Bobo credit I want to give Curry Smart credit for adjusting offensively what we do our identity to fit our our talent the skill sets that we have on hand I've always said it's a mark of a great coach and a lot of coaches they, they talk about that. They give a lot of lip service to that. They don't always do it, but we're seeing that in action right now. So I do think you're starting to see somewhat of an identity shift for this team. Now, is that long-term what we are going to be? No, I think Kirby still would prefer us to be what we've been traditionally under under him, where we want to run the football and be physical and stuff to pass off that. But Kirby wants to win, guys. And whatever we've got to do to win, Kirby is about winning football games. So if that's what we have to do this year, that's if that's what we have to do right now with the injury situation, that is what we're going to do. And it looks like we're starting to trend in move into that direction and you know what I'm very excited about that because that's kind of what I've been waiting for us to do because it's been pretty clear to me for a couple of weeks that's what we should do because that's where our talent is right now all right another somewhat big picture is question here we've got a question from Jay always appreciate it Jay and Jay is posing another question I think it's fair to ask at this point because I don't know if you guys have noticed but um this guy Brock Bowers um it's pretty good pretty good right but Jay says, I've been trying to delay this. We all know how much Herschel and Sinkwich, Tarkenton, Bailey, Trippy, Pollock, Chubb, and Steady are all beloved. But when can we start talking about Brock Bowers being the greatest dog to ever suit up? This is a fair question, man. I think you've got to start asking these questions. This guy is going to become only the third three-time All-American in Georgia football history. The other two, you know the names, Herschel Walker 
David Pollock. Talk about a lead company. Brock is going to do that. He's going to do that. He's very likely, if he continues on this on this toward pace that he's on over the last three weeks, he very well could become the only tight end in the history of college football to win the Mackey Award twice. And he honestly probably should have won as a freshman. He is the unquestioned best player on this team. He has won two national titles already, couldn't make it a third, and wasn't just along for the ride on any of those. He was one of the primary driving forces behind all, at least the first two, and I would like to say all three, but we're not there yet, but maybe all three. Right now, he is on pace to break Georgia records for receiving yards in a single season and receptions in a single season. He is on pace to become only the second player in the history of the University of Georgia football program to go for over a thousand yards receiving. And he doesn't play receiver. He plays tight end. Also blocks very, very well. He has a legendary work ethic a la Nick Chubb. He is a humble, good-natured kid that gave up NIL money so that his teammates could get NIL money. I mean, what is not to like about this young man, this football player? This guy is an unbelievable athlete. He's an unbelievable football player. He's an unbelievable teammate. He's an unbelievable human being. And one thing that I think also makes Brock special, it's kind of like David Pollock. Like, what made David Pollock so great was just how hard the guy played. He was just unique in that. And Brock reminds me a lot of that. And also Nick Chubb as well. You can say that about Nick. I mean, Brock's tenacity, his willingness to, to fight for every single inch on the field, it is rare, guys. You don't see it. It's so rare for the best player on your team to be unquestionably the hardest worker on your team. I've always said there's so many talented players out there, but when you take talent and you take work ethic like that and you mesh them together, what do you get? You get greatness. That's what made Nick Chubb great. That's what made David Pollock great. That's what makes brought Bowers great. And I don't use the G word lightly. He is great. And I feel like we've all just gotten spoiled by Brock Bowers and we just expect it from him, which is another sign of how great you are when you put people in that mindset that just expect greatness from you because that's just what you are. But I don't know if we fully appreciate Brock Bowers for who this guy is. I know that I put myself in that. I, I find myself sometimes just doing what I just said. saying, oh yeah, that's Brock. That's what he does. But we, I don't think I fully appreciate it. I'm trying to do a better job of that because this is going to be his last year. So I am trying to fully more so appreciate what this young man has done for us and just how good he is and just understand and soak up what I am watching, the greatness that I am watching right now. Because I was not around for Herschel Walker. I was not a person of this earth at that point. And I'm always very jealous of people who got to watch Herschel. And I always wonder, like, what was it like to watch Herschel Walker? And I, and I, I, I hope that, I'm sure people did appreciate what they were watching at that time, but, and I'm not saying that Brock is Herschel Walker, but to Jay's question, uh, he kind of, it feels like that's, to me, what I'm watching right now. It's like my Herschel Walker, and I know that Todd Gurley was great, and Nick Chubb was unbelievable, and Nick is my favorite dog of all time. I love that man dearly, but Brock's right there, too, and so just watching Brock, I mean, I wonder if it's gonna be like, you know, 20, 30 years from now, you know, young people are gonna be asking me, like, hey, you know, what was it like to watch Brock Bowers? I'm like, well, let's sit around, let me tell you. I think people are gonna be looking at us, you know, the young kids 20, 30 years from now with the legend of Brock Bowers is still out there asking, like, how great was it to watch Brock Bowers? And I know sometimes I don't always fully appreciate it. I know that I'm probably not alone in that, but this guy is unbelievable. Now, to Jay's question, is he the greatest Georgia Bulldog of all time? Man, that's so tough. Herschel Walker, man, we're, whew, 
We're talking about Heisman Trophy winner, three-time All-American, a guy that most people out there consider the greatest college football player of all time. But here's the thing with Herschel. It's just so hard for me to say, like I was just talking about, I never watched the guy play. I've seen clips, right? I've watched some YouTube stuff, but I never saw the guy play live. I didn't live that. I didn't live it week to week, game to game for three seasons. I wasn't around for that. So it's hard for me to say. I I understand the greatness of Herschel Walker. I see the clips. I understand what he did for this program, and that is greatness. But Brock is is doing, I mean, is Brock going to be considered the greatest college football player of all time? No. Will he be considered the greatest college football tight end of all time? Very possibly. I mean, if he becomes a three-time All-American, two-time Mackey Award winner, three-time national champion, already a two-time national champion, we know that's already done. I mean, very possibly he'll be considered the greatest tight end of all time, but I don't think he'll be talked about in the same breath as Herschel Walker, you know, in terms of like overall college football. So it's tough for me to say Brock is the greatest dog to ever suit up. But man, if you want to make the argument, I'm, I wouldn't fight you. I just wouldn't fight you because I think he's at least in the conversation. I mean, with Charlie Trippy, I mean, I, it's like Herschel. I'm, I'm very aware of who Charlie Trippy was and how great that man was, especially when talking about, you know, the wars and all that kind of stuff and the era. But I, I didn't watch Charlie Trippy play. I, I don't know. It's a different era of college football. So I don't know if I can say, to sum it all up here, I don't know if I can say, yes, Brock is the greatest Georgia football player of all time. I mean, we're just talking about Stetson like this last year. I mean, in terms of like greatness, I mean, Stetson's got to be in that conversation too. But I think Brock's in the conversation. We'll at least say that. And if, again, if you want to make the argument, I, I absolutely would not fight you for a single second on that. And we've got one more question while we're at it here on Brock. We'll take a quick break. Uh, Matt asks, Brock Bowers, 1,000-yard season? Absolutely. He's on pace for that right now. Barring something crazy, Brock Bowers is going to become the second player in Georgia history to go for over 1,000 yards receiving. That's even if we just play 12 games. If we play 13, it's going to go up. If we play 14, it's going to be more. If we, go, if we play 15, it might be 12, 1,300 yards. And talking about our identity offensively, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, Brock Bowers is a big part of that. I think we finally realized, oh yeah, this guy's really good. Um, let's let's get him the ball. Let's just find ways to get him the ball. And it, one of the things that makes it so hard to stop because I know everyone's like, well, how do you let Brock Bowers get open? And again, watching the replay, I think the the, the big gain he had, I want to say it was in the first half, and I know he had a bunch of big plays, but the biggest play that he had against Kentucky, it was Sean McDonough saying, how does this happen? How does he get this wide open? And that's a fair question. And you think, well, obviously he has to be like number one on top of every defense's game plan, which he clearly is. But it's easier said than done when you're talking about a tight end. When Brock is on the field, he's not in one spot. We move this guy around by virtue of his position, also by virtue of his versatility. He can play inline, he can play H-back, he can play in the slot, he can play out wide. They never know, the defense never knows where this guy is going to line up on any given play. And playing tight end, playing off the ball, typically you cannot get your hands on him and press him. We do a really good job of putting him in motion and also using bunch sets that allows us to get him matched up on guys that simply cannot cover him. Let's be real. Nobody can really cover Brock one-on-one, but there are some matchups that this they have no absolute no chance whatsoever to cover the guy. So that is one of the things that makes him really, really effective. I go back to like George Pickens. You know, when he was, you know, a freshman sophomore, one of the things I was always saying about George is George is really good, but for George to take that next step and be an elite receiver, he's got to learn more than one position. And He's got to expand his route tree. He was really limited in what he could do. I mean, he, we know like the, the kind of plays he could make, but the routes that he was running, the types of plays that we were running with him, where we were lining him up on the field, he was more predictable and easier to stop. Brock, not the case. Brock can do everything. I mean, we know we know we put him in the backfield. We hand the ball. We do just all, so many things with Brock. It makes it really hard to stop him. So he has clearly become 
a massive part of what our offensive identity is, and I think for very good reason. But all right, guys, let's get to the first break here. Let's talk about our friends at my bookie, guys. We are here right at the halfway point of the college ball season, which is crazy to think, and that makes me very sad, but it also means that we have plenty of college football left. So there is plenty of time for you to sign up for a brand new account at MyBookie. I'm telling you guys, when your money's on the line, you want to choose a sports book that you know you can trust. And I've tried a lot of them, guys. MyBookie is the one that I trust. So they're the one that I would recommend to you guys. And at MyBookie, it doesn't matter if whoever you're betting on is up or down, they're winning, they're losing, you can cash out. They have that new cash out early system. You can bet the game live if that's easier for you guys. They have a lot of options for you, daily odds boost, single game parlays huge prize pool contest they're running all the time and they have two promo codes for you guys to choose from right now they still have our exclusive glory uga promo code which is just uga if you go to mybookie.ag sign up for a brand new account and use our code uga you get a 50 percent bonus on top of your first deposit that does come with a playthrough if you want to avoid the playthrough you can use their new promo code 200 cash to get a 10% cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quickly up to $200 in cash. That's straight to your account. And while you're at it, guys, you can try the MyBookie money bag to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at crazy long shot odds. Guys, we're talking like plus 38,000 on the Eagles, on the Chiefs. Why not give it a shot? You're not going to find odds like that anywhere else. So do yourself a solid right now. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. All right, guys, a lot of questions left. So let's keep this thing rolling and let's go to our next question here. This is from Jamil, another great friend of the podcast. Good to hear from you, man. Jamil asks, what are you most impressed with about this year's Georgia team? Another great question, of course, like all of them, always great questions. You know, Jamil, the thing that has impressed me the most has nothing to do with necessarily X's and O's and skill sets, talent, speed, hands, anything like that. It's the, it's the spirit of this team. And I know that sounds like so ridiculous, but the resiliency, the fight of this team has been impressive to me. Being down 14-3 against South Carolina at home, being able to fight back in the second half and come out just swinging the second half, that game on the road at Auburn, guys. And I know that I, I mentioned it last week coming off that game, but I'm going to go back to it, man. Those of you who are there in the stands, you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you could get the feel at home through the TV too. I mean, guys, that place was rocking. That is a tough place to play the way that we were down early in that game the way that we come out in the second half and then turn the ball over again we tied the game up and they take the lead take the air right out of us to open the second half and then we fumble kind of somewhat fumble on the next the next drive the first play the next drive now obviously it was overturned but that place was going bananas Auburn was jumping around the sideline they were hyped up and we had every reason to fold many teams in this country guys would have folded in that game and not won that football game we didn't play our best football we were embarrassed the way they were running the football on us but you know when we needed the most our guys stepped up and made plays and it was a guy like Carson Beck who had never been in that moment and I didn't know what to expect Carson been so good for us up to that point but you don't know until you know when you get into an environment like that and when it was crunch time when it was time to put up or shut up our guys put up and they made the plays when they had to be made that's that championship pedigree, man. Like when you win back-to-back national titles and you've been in games like the Peach Bowl, you've been in games like on the road at Missouri, you've been in games like the 2021 national championship game, I guess 2022 national championship game against Alabama. Even if you weren't a key contributor in those games, even if you weren't really playing in those games like Carson Beck, you've been there. You've seen it. You've seen your team overcome those things. 
And that is something I think is going to be huge for our team. We're going to probably play some close games down the stretch, guys. There's some teams that are, are good football teams. They're going to challenge us. And while we dominated Kentucky, again, that still right now is the exception. I hope that becomes the rule. But until it does, I, mean, I have to think that there's going to be some more close games down the stretch in our future. But this team, the way they fight, the way they don't give up, their composure, as Kirby always likes to talk about, it's incredibly impressive. And I know that's not something that, you know, talking heads out there nationally really talk about. They want to talk about, you know, who's your quarterback, who's your receiver, how's your rush defense, all those kind of things. And I get those things are important too, but you can't really, really put a number on that kind of fighting spirit, that kind of pedigree, that kind of resiliency. Most teams don't have it, guys. I can tell you that. Most teams don't have it. But we got it. We've got that. And I think that means something. I think that's actually really, really important. So to me, it's beyond the X's and O's and those kind of things. That is what has impressed me the most about this team, especially in factor in the injuries I've had to deal with and just overcoming all that. That has been incredibly impressive to me. All right, next up, Trevor, another good friend of the podcast, asks, what area of concern do you believe improved the most against Kentucky, pass rush, kicking, run game, etc.? We have a question about kicking. We'll get that in a minute. That has certainly improved over the past couple of weeks. I think the run game was what surprised me the most, and not just the run game itself, but like the final numbers, but the way that our offensive line controlled the line of scrimmage. And guys, that's a good front. That might very well be the best defensive front that we're going to play all year in the regular season. And who knows? I mean, well, if we play Alabama, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we get there. If we play Alabama, that'll be a better defensive front. But Kentucky's good, man. That's a good defensive front. It's a good front six. That's a good rush defense. They're number two in the league in rush defense coming into that game. And not only did we manage to run the football on them, we dominated that defensive front. Deion Walker is a really good football player. I stand by what I said about him coming in that game. That guy is an elite defensive lineman, but we were moving him, man. And every and it was and he they moved him around, so it wasn't just one guy. It wasn't just Cedric Van Prano. It, just, it wasn't just Tate Radley, Xavier Trust. It was all the guys up front taking their turn, and we were getting consistent push up front in a way that we had not all year long. To me, that was the most encouraging thing coming out of that game because I've been very open all season talking about my biggest concern has been our inability to run the football because that's something that we just need to be able to do. And being able to do that in any game, let alone against that Kentucky defense, to me was very, very encouraging. So I think that is what I believe improved the most coming out of that game. All the pass rush was good, kicking was good, all those things were, were improved as well. But the run game to me and the way the offensive line was able to actually get movement and work as a cohesive unit more so than we had seen at any point this season. That, I believe, was the most improved part of our performance against Kentucky. All right, next up, we got a question from G, uh, who, um, you know, G's asking some questions about some guys that we've talked about. He asked, not to kill our guys, but what's the purpose of playing guys like Chaz Chambliss, Zion Logan, Chamel Walthour? I know they have experience, but it just seems like they are liabilities out there. So why not play the better talent? I do think this is a reasonable question. Now, Chaz Chemis is a guy that we have talked about a lot. He does have value. I know that he is not Nolan Smith, and we've kind of gotten spoiled by watching Nolan just be a dominant run defender out there. Chaz has his liabilities. He's not an elite athlete. He is a very physical player who knows what to do. The coaches trust him. He's a, and look, Kirby puts a premium on physicality, guys, and he puts a premium on rush defense. I know Chaz does not always make the play in the ball carry. Now, I lost my mind in the stands when he did that uh, against Kentucky, especially if, he did a couple times, but there was one time in particular, it was a tackle for loss where he blew up 
the the pulling guard, which he does exceptionally well all the time. He does that very, very well, but almost like with Reckless Abandon. But this time, not only did he blow the, the, the puller up when he enclosed on him, as we say in our defense, but he also had the awareness to reach out and make the play on the ball carry, which is what I've been screaming for him to do for uh, about a year now. And he, sto- she sh- he showed signs of doing it. So progress, baby, progress. If Chaz can do that more consistently, Chaz is a really good run defender. Now, he's not a great pass rusher. He's never going to be. That's why he comes off the field on third downs. But Chaz does have value. He just frustrates me sometimes, a lot of the time. Now, Zion Lowe is, um, I mean, he's he's not elite. I mean, he's not he's, he's not J- Jalen Carter. He's not Jordan Davis. He's, he's not Devontae White. He's not that kind of guy. He's, he's a good, solid run defender for us, though. And look, when you play in the SEC, you're going to have to have some guys, multiple guys that, that can rotate in that position because it's a line of scrimmage league. These guys are grown men. You need These guys are big dudes. They're not in the best you know, cardiovascular shape compared to other guys on your team. So you need to rotate some guys in and out. And Zion Logue is the guy that certainly is a, more, is a serviceable, maybe probably a little bit more than a serviceable player for us. Elite? No. Game changer? No. But a good solid player. Now, does he need to start? Probably not. I think Warren Brinson's the best guy we've got in that position right now. I think... Christian Miller, by the end of the year, might become that guy. He's playing at a really high level himself. Tremel Walthour, same thing as Zion Lowe. Is he as good as a guy like Mike Hill Williams? No. But he does one thing really well. He defends the run, man. Like That's what Tremel does. He gives you nothing as a pass rusher. He does. That's just not his game. That's where Mike Hill comes in. And that's why Tremel started most of the, the games the back half of last season because he was just a superior run defender. Michael wasn't ready to do that consistently as a freshman. He's a great pass rusher. And Michael certainly improved as a run defender this year. Michael's playing at a really, really high level right now. I'm Again, as a run defender, he's improved leaps and bounds from where he was last year. That's why he is playing more. But Tremelso is going to play because he does a good job stopping the run. And when you don't have a guy like Jalen Carter in the middle of your defense, you need guys like Tremel Walthour who can stop the run there on the edge. So I think that's why he plays. I know that they are not... Um, you know, elite NFL players. I understand that. They're not. And you're right, there are some deficiencies that all of those guys have, but they also do some things well, and you've got to rotate on, on the lines of scrimmage there defensively. So that's why we play them. Now, should we play them maybe not as much as we do? Should we play guys like Michael Williams more? Should we play guys like Warren Brinson more? Yeah, I'm open to that. I'm certainly open to that, but I, I do think those guys have a role on this team, and I'm okay with that. All right, next up, we got a question from Jake. Massive improvement from the offensive line. Yes, I agree, Jake. Can we expect this against top defenses or not? That's the question of the hour, man. Yeah, I I just talked about it. It was incredible improvement from the offensive line. Like, just leaps and bounds better than what we've seen from them at any point this season. But here's what I would say about that performance. I mean, it's just what I was just talking about. Kentucky's good stopping the run, man. Like That's a good defensive front. I don't think there's a better defensive front that we're going to play in the regular season the rest of the year. Tennessee's pretty good. In their, they're good in their front six. They are. They'll, they'll give us a challenge there. But, I mean, Kentucky in the regular season is about as good as that we're going to play. Now, if we get in the postseason, obviously, they'll probably play some better defensive fronts. But, if we played like that against them, why can we not do that against everyone else that we play the rest of the year? I mean, Florida's actually playing a pretty high level in their front six, but if we can do it against Kentucky and against guys like Deion Walker and then Octavius Oxendine, why can't we do it against the other teams on our schedule the rest of the way? I think that we can. We've shown it. Now, will we do it? That's the question to me. I don't know. It's a lot like the, the overall performance against Kentucky. Right now, that's the exception in the season, but can it become the rule? If you did it once, you can do it again. So, can it become the rule? I'm I'm certainly anxiously awaiting the next couple of games to see if that does become the case. If it does, watch out. This Georgia team might very well be the best team in the country. Okay, let's move along here. Next question is from Casey. Casey asks, 
After that performance on Saturday night, is it fair to say that Kentucky was overrated? Yeah, Casey, here's the thing about Kentucky. Are they a top five team in the SEC? No, they're not. And I knew that coming this season. I didn't expect them to be one of the four or five most talented teams. I thought by virtue of their schedule and how they play defense, and I thought that Ray Davis coming in would be a really good fit for their offense. I thought Devin Leary would be better than he is because he was better at NC State and 35 touchdowns, five interceptions in 2021. He's been banged up for a large part of his career. He had not, he has not played anywhere close to that type of level for Kentucky at this point in the season, which we're halfway through the season. That just seems like that's who he's going to be this year. So I, I never thought Kentucky was going to be like a top three, four, five team in the SEC, but I thought they could be a team that wins nine or 10 games. I thought their schedule set up really nicely for them. They did to play Alabama and they had to play us. I thought they were going to lose both those games, but I thought they could beat Florida at home. I get Tennessee at home. I don't think Tennessee is the same version of Tennessee they were last year. It's a winnable game for Kentucky. They have to play Missouri. Missouri is better than they thought, so I, that might be a game they lose. But they also get Mississippi State in crossover play. Mississippi State is the second worst team in the league. They get Vanderbilt. They've already beaten Vanderbilt. So when you get the two worst teams in the league, that certainly helps your case. Now, Louisville beat Notre Dame. Louisville's better than, I mean, I thought Louisville would be a solid team this year. They're better than I thought that they would be. So that makes that game look, look a little tougher. So maybe it's like a an eight-win team, nine-win team, and things go their way. If they get a little bit more from Devin Leary, that could change some things. But right now, again, I don't know if that's reasonable to expect at this point. But like, Kentucky is not a fraud. They're a good, solid football team. I think that people were overselling them. They were not what people were trying to make them out to be coming into last week. They were never going to be a legitimate threat to really come in there and just take it to us like some people thought they were going to be able to run the football on us. As we said coming into the week, they just the way they run the ball fits our strength. It's not what they were not going to be able to do what Auburn did to us. So people got really over their skis about that Florida performance. I think people started to think Florida was a little better than they actually were based on the fact that they beat Tennessee. But I just don't know if nationally people have really come to terms with the fact that Tennessee is just not what Tennessee was last year. In fact, offensively, they're not even close to what they were a year ago. Their numbers are already significantly behind where they were last year offensively, and they haven't even played the best teams on their schedule yet. They're going to play AM this week. They got to play us. They got to play Alabama still. Those numbers are going to come even further down. I mean, right now they've played Florida, who's fine. They're okay. They played South Carolina in the SEC. They played a Virginia team week one, who is uh, one of the worst teams, not maybe the worst team in Power Five, possibly, arguably. So I just don't think that beating Florida is what a lot of people wanted to make it out to be. And I get it because Kentucky doesn't really ever beat Florida. They beat Florida three times in a row now, which for Kentucky, man, after losing 31 straight to Florida, that's doing something. But I think people got a little overexcited about how Kentucky was. I still think this is a good football team. Again, so I think it's about an eight-ish win team. So I don't think that they are overrated. I don't think what happened on Saturday night was so much a function of them as it was us. I think we just played at a really high level. And I think that like, we match up really well with Kentucky. What they want to do offensively, that's what we stop best. I thought that we would have more difficulty running the football against them. But we ran the ball well and we threw the ball. I mean, Kentucky has not been great against the pass. Ford obviously was not really able to exploit that because they don't really throw the ball well. We do, however. Carson Beck was on fire in that game, but that's an early lead. And when Kentucky gets behind like that, they are certainly not equipped offensively to come back from that. Just the way they play, they want to slow the pace down. They want to run the football. They want to bleed the clock, reduce possessions. And when they get down by multiple score, 21 points, the way they did, they have no chance to come back unless you just absolutely give it away. And we were just not going to do that. So no, I don't think they're... I mean, it depends on what you thought about them coming in. Were, were they as good as people? Th- some people thought they were? No, but I don't know if I would say overrated. I don't know if, it's, if I would go that far. But all right, guys, this is a good stopping point for our final break. Let's talk about our friends at Alumni Hall. Man, if you guys were out there at the game on Saturday night, 
It was chilly. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's getting cool, guys. Fall is here finally, gloriously. I love the fall. It's my favorite time of year. Obviously, college football has a big part to do with that, but I just love the weather. But it was chilly, man. And I was thought I was prepared, but I wasn't fully prepared. I needed to go to Alumni Hall today, actually, and pick myself up some of the new Georgia cold weather gear. And they got a bunch of stuff on the shelves right now, guys. They got some fleeces, they got some jackets, some hoodies. They got you guys covered. So if you're like me and you want to get prepared for the coming weeks and months through the rest of the season, Stopping at Alumni Hall inside the Etchbridge Shopping Center today or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, we are not done yet. We've got a couple more questions to go today, so let's get back to it. The next couple questions are specific to, to certain players. So let's go with a question from Guy. What's your evaluation of Pop Dumas Johnson? Seems to me like he's pretty up and down this season. Yeah, this is a guy that... That, you know, Curtis and I have been on, um, I think most of the season, but let's talk about him real quick. Pop is a guy that clearly has some, there's some physical limitations. Now, I do think that sometimes maybe I, I reflect on this. I feel like we were too hard on Pop sometimes. And I think part of that's because we are spoiled at that position. We are spoiled when you talk about guys like Roquan Smith and Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall to maybe a lesser degree, but still Channing Tindall in the way that I think Smiles played a really high level. Pop hasn't quite played up to, to, to that standard, but he's still a really good football player. Most teams in the SEC would love to have a guy like Pop Dumas Johnson on his team, and he's a really good leader for us. He does some things really well. I thought he played really, really well against Kentucky because that is the kind of game that fits his skill set. He's more of your old school, traditional downhill thumper. He's become a better pass rusher than I think he was for most of last year. He still struggles sideline to sideline at times. He's not the most athletic. He's more athletic than your average college football linebacker. He's still really good, but we have a different standard here. He's just not as athletic as a guy like Smile Munden or a guy like, even talk about guys like Xavier Sword, guys like Jalen Walker, guys like Raylan Wilson, even. He's, I've said it before, I'll say it again. He is the most unathletic of the inside linebackers in that inside linebacker room. Does that mean he's the worst? No, he's starting. He's starting for a reason. Leadership, knowledge of this system, the coaches trust him. He does defend the run well, but there are some things he doesn't do as well. He doesn't run as well. Um, he's not great in pass coverage. He's playing more on third downs than we saw from him last year. He's doing fine. Again, he's become a better blitzer. I think it's one of the reasons why he's staying on the field more on third downs than what we saw from him last year, which he really just was never on the field on third downs. This is very, very rare. I do think that he's had some eye discipline issues this year, which is concerning to me because he's a guy that I would not expect that from. He'd be the guy I would probably least expect that from considering his experience in the system. And he's making some of the mistakes that a guy like C.J. Allen, a true freshman, was making against Auburn. And I, again, I expect that from C.J. Allen to a degree because he's a true freshman. He's never been in the situation, had to do those things, seen those kinds of plays. Pop has. And when you make some of those mistakes, that's where I start to scratch my head. I can forgive the physical limitations because you are who you are physically. I mean, I have physical limitations myself, guys. <laughs> that's uh, We all have those, right? So I, I can forgive Pop for that. I mean, that's fine. But some of the, I don't want to say football IQ mistakes, but just some of the things that he's doing from a, a fundamental standpoint, that has to improve. And I think it did start to improve against Kentucky. And look, this guy has owned it himself in press conferences. He has openly talked about how he's got to play better and it's not been good enough and, and, and I respect that from him because it hasn't it's one thing to hear it from me say and I say it and and I feel like I again I harp on it too much I don't want to kill the guy I mean I appreciate everything the guy's done for us. he's one of our guys I don't like 
you know, being overly critical of our guys. I just try to be objective. And I, I think you're right. I think he has been up and down. I think against Kentucky is one of those those higher moments, those one of those ups, so to speak. And I just hope we see more of that moving forward. All right, next question from Nathan. What are your thoughts on Jalen Walker being a full-time outside linebacker? He seems to be the best pass rusher of the group. This is a great question, Nathan. In fact, I know you have not heard the recap episode yet because I am recording this episode right after Curtis and I just got done recording the recap episode. So by the time you listen to this, you probably have heard that episode. But when the question came in, obviously you had not heard that yet. So I, I just got done talking about Jalen Walker. He got one of my game balls because I this guy's flashing, man. When he's on the field, he doesn't play a ton. But when he's on the field, especially in those third down situations, this guy just, he flashes to me. He he looks the part out there. Now, full-time outside linebacker, that's a question. I don't know if he is going to be the kind of guy that's going to be a good enough run defender with his size on the edge. Now, he's kind of about the same-ish size. As, I mean, Chaz is a little bit bigger than him. But I think that's what's holding us back from having him there. He's more of a natural inside linebacker. That's what we recruited him as. That's kind of what his body type fits as. But he is this unique guy in terms of like he has inside linebacker prototype size, but he has outside linebacker, like edge rusher, pass rush skills. So he's kind of this, this unicorn, right? Like where does he fit? And that's the question our coaches are asking. We moved, we were, he was basically playing outside linebacker for us last year. And that kind of stunted his growth as an inside linebacker. And he's now moved back full-time inside linebacker. He missed the spring with a labrum surgery, which stunted his growth a little bit more at inside linebacker, moving him back there. So I, he's just scratching the surface of what he can be at that position. I think he's an inside linebacker, personally. I would like to see him play there. I think he can be an elite inside linebacker with the ability on third downs, situationally, to rush the passer. I like what we did with Quay Walker. and he, I think he's probably a better, even a better pass rusher than Quay Walker is. I mean, this guy has legitimate pass rush skills, not just like running past him because I'm faster than you at this big, fat left tackle. He's got actual pass rush skills. Like He's got moves. He uses his hands very well. He dips very well. He has that flexibility. So I totally see where you're coming from, Nathan, saying, is it just time to move him at full-time outside linebacker? I'm not ready to say that yet because I, I think that his thing at inside linebacker is off the charts. Now, we are deeper at inside linebacker. We have so much talent there. So I don't know. I mean, that is a great question. I think our coaches, have, and I know they have struggled with that, and they probably still are struggling and talking about that behind the scenes. But right now, he's playing inside linebacker. I think that's where I like to see him start to develop a little bit right now for me. But definitely use him as a pass rusher. That guy's got a unique skill set there. All right, Christopher has a question about our field goal kicker, Peyton Woodring. He asks, can we talk about how great our field goal kicker has been these last two weeks. He kept us in the game against Auburn and he was perfect against Kentucky last night. Yes, Christopher. Absolutely. He has really seemed to turn the page here. Now, the one thing I would say is that we're not talking about like really long kicks. I think the longest might have been 41, 43 yards, but at Auburn, long or not, I do not care. I said it earlier in the show. That is a crazy tough place to play, rabid environment, and a freshman kicker who had been struggling coming into that game I don't care if they're 27-yard field goals. I don't care. The fact that he made them, and you're right, kept us in that game, huge, absolutely huge. Let's be real. He was missing some of those or those shorter kicks earlier in the season. I mean, he was. So to make them in that moment, I think that helped build some confidence. It built confidence in me, had to build confidence in him, and to see him back it up and do it again against Kentucky in another SEC game, in a primetime game, underneath the lights, absolutely he has certainly turned the page and been much better. I just hope he continues to do it. I'd like to see what he can do from a longer range. Hopefully, we don't have to find out. Hopefully, we just score touchdowns. But I think he's certainly starting to look the part. And this is this is a guy that we offered a scholarship to at a, at a high school, guys. It, there, a lot of times, 
teams will not offer scholarships to kickers coming to high school. They'll make you come on, walk on, earn it, you know, the way we do with Rodrigo Blankenship. When we offer a guy a scholarship at that position, that means we think pretty highly of you. You're a really good kicker. And I know he's he's kicked some long field goals in high school. I want to see him do it at this level. But yes, he's playing much better, and I feel much more confident about that position that I did a couple of weeks ago because I was nervous, man. I came on here and told you all. I was, def- I was definitely nervous there. All right, next question. Got two more here. We got one from Lost in New York. Lost in New York asks, looking ahead, do you think Missouri's Achilles Hill is defending a mobile quarterback? Beck showed some wheels on an early drive. Yeah, look, first off, Carson Beck, I have said it many times, I do think that he is way more athletic than people give him credit for. And I think we did have a question. Maybe I just forgot to put it on here. So we'll talk about it here. I forget who asked the question, but it was a great question. Uh, Actually, I think it was Alexander, a good friend of the podcast. Yeah, it was Alexander. Um, Yeah, look, we run, we we have a pretty diverse run game, but we do run an inside zone play that looks like a zone read play where we're not blocking the backside in. And typically when you run that play, the quarterback has the option to pull it, right? Classical zone read. If the, if the backside end crashes, quarterback pulls it and he runs around the end. There should be some space there. If he if he surfs and he's playing the quarterback, you hand the ball off and you have a plus one scenario, you're taking that guy out of the play without actually having to dedicate a blocker to blocking that guy. So it gives the offensive line and the, and the offense in general a plus one advantage in the box there. You have the numbers advantage. Right now, Carson is not pulling those. And I here's the thing. I don't know if he's being told hey, don't pull it. Like We're going to run this action, but you don't really have the option to pull it. Or if he's just actively choosing to not pull it. It's really hard for me to believe that he's actively choosing to not pull it because it's so obvious if he's given that option, those are very obvious pull reads. And he is athletic enough to pick up some yards and keep a defense honest. So if that is the case and he's being told to not pull it, it's just like we're giving that look Teams are not dumb. These guys aren't idiots. Stevens coordinators get paid a lot of money. They know he's not going to pull it, and they're going to crash on the, on, on the running back. And that's one of the things, I, I think I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was on a video I did. I can't remember. But that was one of the issues with our run game. If we're going to run those zone looks like that, and Carson's not going to pull it, we have to do something else to account for that backside. And either we have to dedicate a blocker to actually block him, or we have to use some motion. We have to use RPOs. Like we have the, the we use this with Brock sometimes. We call it floss or toothpick sometimes, depending on on how we're actually running it. Where you guys have seen this, where he looks like he's giving the split zone action, but he runs out into the flats there, and Carson has a chance. He has the option as an RPO to hand the ball off or pull it. And what he's doing though is he's reading the end. Is the end crashing? The end crashes. You take and you 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 pass it to Brock. Whoever the tight end is there, you could use it with a with Lad McConk. You use it with Dominic Love. We've done that some. So that's one way to do it. And so I think if we're going to run those zone plays like that. We need to do something like that. We need to be tagged with with an RPO like that every single play because we it can't be tagged with a with a Carson pull read because he's not pulling it. Now if he starts to pull it, that's one thing. And I do think that Carson is more athletic than people give him credit for. I said that many many times this year. And I do think that he can pick up some yards and hurt some teams and also make our run game more effective because you don't have that backside and crashing and destroying our zone plays. So yes, I think that's a, a something that does need to be addressed. But back to Lost in New York's question: Is that Missouri's Achilles' heel to think a mobile quarterback? I don't know if I'm ready to say that for sure and call it an Achilles heel. Look, Jane Daniels is just is a different beast, man. That guy is unbelievable running the football. I mean, the speed he has to just cut through defenders and cut off angles is ungodly. That guy is so fast, man. He runs straight up and he takes some shots, but man, the speed is just out of control. So I think that's more of a Jaden Daniels thing. I don't know if that if that's a Missouri can't defend the mobile quarterback thing. 
maybe if we see that a couple more weeks here, possibly, but I haven't I haven't seen that be a problem for them all year long. It was a problem for them against LSU, but that's kind of a problem for every defense against LSU. That's just what Jaden Daniels can do. So maybe it's an issue for them, and if it is, then yeah, I would like to see us use Beck, and I, I would like to see us use Beck's legs more in general. I think he throws the ball really well on the run. Again, those zone reads, I would like to actually see him pull it a time or two. Maybe even a quarterback draw here or there, you know, maybe in the red zone when the time is right. Teams aren't going to expect that right now, so maybe you wait for that to pull it out and the time is right, but look, he's not Stetson. We know that, but he can move, man. The guy, the guy is a good athlete. All right, finally, last question here. This comes from Sage, and this might be the first question that we've gotten from Sage. I don't know for sure, so if you're if you're new to the show, Sage, I think you've been around for listening for a while, but if, if this is the first question, I appreciate it, man. Don't be a stranger. Keep, keep the questions coming. But Sage asks, what opponent is the toughest matchup we have ahead with six weeks down? Yeah, great question. You guys have not heard this episode because I have not recorded it yet, but I'm getting ready to, as soon as I get done with this one, to do my third episode here of the day, and we're going to do... Um, Volume 3 of the Glory J SEC Power Rankings, and I'll certainly talk about that. I think the back half of the schedule is pretty tough, man. I mean, Florida is not great, but it's a rivalry game, you know, and, you know, crazy things happen. Neutral site, we're still better than Florida. That shouldn't be too much of an issue there. Missouri's a good football team, though, man. Missouri's a good football team. That offense is humming. The way they throw the football concerns me. We know traditionally when Georgia's had issues on defense under Kirby Smart, what's it been? Elite passing games. Right now, Missouri's throwing the football at an elite rate. Now, I mean, is Brady Cook a guy like you know C.J. Stroud? No, he's not that, but he's playing really well, man. Luther Burden, it might be the best receiver in the country right now. Now, he's playing the slot position in this Eli Drinkwitz offense. They moved him there, which is what... Don McLovitt played for them last year, and that's a, a big-time position in that Eli Drinkwitz offense. I know Kirby Moore came over, and he's calling the plays for them now from Fresno State, but Eli Drinkwitz is still an offensive guy. He's so heavily involved in what they do offensively, and Luther Burden is just, God, he's got almost 800 yards receiving right now, guys, through this through the first half of the season. That guy is elite. So you're talking about a really good quarterback-receiver combination. Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper, good receivers, your complimentary pieces to Luther Burden. That's a team that what they do offensively could be somewhat problematic for us. Now, I'm glad that we get them at home. That will certainly be helpful. I'm hopeful that's a night game so that the crowd can be a factor there with communication. You know, talking about Kentucky last week coming into that game, I was pretty confident in that game because Kentucky, the way they run their offense, they just it's a great matchup for us. Missouri, the way that they're running their offense right now, not a great matchup for us. That's a concern for me. Ole Miss is a trap game. I think Ole Miss and Missouri could both be considered trap games coming before the trip to Tennessee, which is going to have a lot of hype. Now, Tennessee is not really holding up their end of the bargain this year, but still it'll be a hyped-up game. Going to Knoxville like that, they'll be ready for that. But Ole Miss is a good football team too, man. And Offensively, they're very good. Now, Jackson Dart does not throw the ball as well as as uh, Brady Cook does and the Missouri offense does. That's kind of their issue. But they run the ball exceptionally well, and they do a lot of things that all— like. They don't run the ball exactly like Auburn did to us. It's not a full-on option attack like we basically face against Auburn. But they do a lot of the similar principles. They include those in their offense with misdirections. They'll pull, they'll pull their guard and tackle or center one direction and run the ball the other way. So that they they really test your eye discipline, and that's one thing that hurts hurts against Auburn. So from a matchup standpoint, that could also be a a difficult game. Now Tennessee's not what they were last year. I mean, I've I, I think that's pretty clear, especially offensively, but. That's a tough game on the road in and in a tough spot. I mean, they're going to be fired up, man. I mean, that's, that's going to be a tough football game. But honestly, right now, 
I might say Missouri, man. I really might. I think this offense is playing at a really, really, really high level. Brady Cook is a different guy. And again, I just go back. What has given Georgia trouble? Our defense has struggled with elite passing games. When you have a high-level quarterback and you have these elite receivers, and Missouri's got one of those guys in Luther Burton, a couple of good complimentary pieces, and Brady Cook is playing. Maybe he's not elite, but right now he's playing like an elite quarterback at least the past couple of weeks. So that matchup's concerning. They do have a really they maybe not an elite defense, but a good defense. So they can they could give us some issues coming off the Florida game, heading into that stretch of Ole Miss at Tennessee. That might be the game right now. I reserve the the right to change that opinion, but maybe this is recency bias, but right now. I think that offense is playing at a really high level, and that's um, somewhat of a concern here heading into that game in a couple of weeks. But all right, guys, that is it for the second episode that I'm recording today. I got one more left, but that has exhausted all of our questions today. Thank you so much for everyone who sent those questions in. I tried to get to all the questions I saw. I know I had to record this earlier than normal, so there's a chance some of you sent some questions in after I had to record this. So I apologize if I missed your question. Again, there's always some overlap questions, so if I didn't use your question, I promise I love you too. I do. I just try to go with the first question that was asked when I see some of those overlap questions. But thank you to each and every one of you that listen to the podcast, ask the questions. Thanks for always being here. We appreciate you. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs!